the Mess It Up Podcast, where we take your mess and turn it into a message. And now, here's the Bowtie Guy. Hey, people, you have found the Mess It Up Podcast once again. I am here. It's Paul, the Bowtie Guy, ready to bring you another half an hour or so of listening joy, hopefully. Um, I always promise uh, to make people into internet superstars, and we've got a guest that's going to be coming on a little bit later on. So I've made that promise to him. So it's up to you, dear listeners, to tell everybody you know about the show so that we can have uh, a bazillion people listening when the guest uh, uh, comes on. Uh, The way to do that is to spread the news on social media. You can uh, find us, like us on our Facebook page, You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We have a a subreddit called Messed Up Ministries where we like to talk about different issues. So get involved with that. I forgot that we have uh, MySpace. Yes, we are one of those crazy people. I I opened up a MySpace account and then I forgot about it just like the rest of us did. Uh, So anyhow, we're all over the place on social media. So please find us. Great way to get the show out to people though, beyond posting and, and reposting is to Go on to wherever you're listening, whatever podcast delivering system you have, and write a review and give us a rating. Uh, The rating is simple. It's quick. It's easy. Give us five stars, you know, unless you don't think we deserve it. Uh, And then uh, writing review takes a little bit more time, but that really bumps us up in the algorithms for finding new shows. uh, So that would really be helpful. If you want to go even beyond that, we are 100% listener supported. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, you can go to our website, which is messituppodcast.com. Click on the button that says become a patron. That'll take you to our Patreon page. And you too can help support the show for as little as $1 a month. Um, You can give your donations to us and uh, you get a little bit of swag in return. Everybody who's a new patron gets a book uh, from me, uh, my book called uh, Still in Beta is out. If you want to buy the book, you can go on Amazon. It's available for Kindle. It's available on paperback through Amazon. And you can also get it on Apple Books if you are uh, an Apple reader. Uh, So check those things out. Tell your friends. uh, Listen to the show. And uh, if you want to make me feel good, listen to the show like 70 times each week because I just look at the numbers and I don't know if you're the same person. It just makes me feel good. So, um, you know, do that and uh, we'll all get along much more happy. Uh, I'm looking at the time now, and I've got to say, uh, Dan in Portland, uh, I did this one for you. We're under two and a half minutes on the intro, so there you go. I am going to remind you email, though, because uh, I forgot that. Uh, bowtie guy at messituppodcast.com, or you can reach intern Dave at info at messituppodcast.com, and he'll pass along all your show notes or ideas, word of the week stuff, uh, song of the week stuff. And as I said that, I just remembered that I've got to give you the, the word of the week, but I'm going to introduce our, our guest first because our guest brought the word of the week. So I'm going to bring him in right now. This is listener Neil from Utah. Hey, Paul. Hey, how you doing? I am doing great. It's always fun to see people, well, not face to face, but camera to camera, uh, because all I really see of people most of the time is emails or tweets, or, you know, sometimes on Facebook, I can, I can see a picture of a person, but it's nice to just get an idea that, you know, people are real and, and humans and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's good to have you here. Uh, you brought a word of the week with you this week. What word is that word of the week? That word is a vow. A vow. And how many points are we going to give out to people for using this in a sentence this week? I, I think 17. 17 points if you use a vow in a, a sentence. And I thought it was really interesting um, what you talk about when, when, you, when I asked you what, what it was. A vow, by the way, is you know, something that's asserted 
um, when you assert something or admit something or state it publicly. But you had an interesting take on that word avow. Um, tell me what you, or tell the people what you told me about that, if you would. Well, you never heard the word avow. All you hear is disavow, you know, mission impossible. You know, we will disavow <laughs> all knowledge of you. Yeah. But to avow is so different. Um, I'm looking at Marion Webster over here and it says, to declare openly, bluntly, and without shame. Uh, I love that openly, bluntly, without shame, because shame is such a huge, huge issue and um, you know, consequence of some of the things that we do. It's, it's a very powerful weapon against us. Uh, and so I love to be able to uh, disarm that bomb uh, by avowing uh, who I am, what I am, and um, the new me. I agree. That's, um, that's, that's, I'm not anywhere near the person I used to be, and I avow my love of Christ all the time. That is outstanding. And it's probably good that you're not that person. Uh, it probably is, because if I were that same person, I probably wouldn't be sitting next to my wife. I probably wouldn't have her hand to hold. I probably wouldn't have her loving me like she does now. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, and you're gonna, we're going to talk about your story in just a minute here, but I know when I first got out of jail, all I wanted was my life back. I wanted my stuff back. I wanted my, and I came to realize that I couldn't, I didn't need that back. If I got that back, I'd go to the same places and do the same stupid things uh, because I already had that and it obviously wasn't good enough. Uh, so it's nice to be able to have that new me and be happy with the new me and not want the old me anymore. I'm glad that that guy is retired. It's an Edsel. It's not even in a museum anywhere. It's just, you know, the past done and dusted. Yeah. Um, for me, it was a big thing when I realized my 12 year old was afraid of me mm. because of the way I acted because of my outbursts. And it was about a year ago. I was, we had been, we had pulled, actually it was this spring. We had pulled some bushes out of our front yard and pulled them out with the truck and I was moving the truck back to the back. And as I'm backing up back there, the, front wheel falls into a hole and I'm stuck. And it was a hole my son had dug. And I, I told him he could dig back there wherever he wanted. Well, I didn't look when I was backing up and boom, I'm in the hole. Well, I start laughing and I come up front and I say, I tell my son, you know, I'm mad at you right now. I'm, I'm taking joy, you know, in, in a, yeah, I'm saying in a kidding manner, but he backed off and he got teary eyed and just started apologizing for everything. And I did not realize until that time how, how much I had affected him with my, um, my meanness because yeah. I was not, I was not a kind person at that point. And I yelled at him and I've never, never, never spanked, or well, I can't say I never spanked him. I've never hit my children in anger. Um, but just to realize that right then he was afraid. Yeah. And it doesn't take that, that violence to be afraid. Uh, I just had a conversation with my daughter who is uh, 28, she'll be 29 here in December. And uh, we were talking and, and she never got spanked by me. She was always just an angel. And the worst she ever got was a little flick on the fingers. Um, but she said, yeah, but you were a scary guy, dad, because you could just, be cold. And a lot of times I find I'm like, you know, Mo from the Three Stooges with a board on my shoulder, just spinning around and knocking things over. And 
not realizing who I'm hitting or what I'm hitting. I'm just doing my thing and, and there's chaos all around me because I'm so blind to what I'm doing. Yeah. I can, I, I, I was the same way. Well, yeah. let's let people uh, have an idea. Let's kind of give us an idea about, um, about the old Neil. Well, the old Neil was five years old when he was introduced to pornography by a friend. And the old Neil didn't know what to do with that. And at five years old, who knows what to do with that? But it was exciting to me. It was something different. I was the youngest of six kids. I had five older sisters. And my parents were very, um, I was going to say quiet, but that's the wrong word. My parents did not talk about sex, period. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was probably eight or 10 years old, they bought this four volume set called the Life Cycle Library. And anytime anyone had a question, they'd say, look at the book. There was no talk. Um, I was talking to my sister, one of my sisters a few years ago and asked if mom ever had the talk with her. And she said, no. Um, when she started menstruating, she had to get the information from her sisters and mm-hmm. from friends that mom never talked to them. Dad never talked to me about anything. And so it was nothing but a shame, a shameful thing. Because if you ask about it, you're told, go over there. Don't talk to me about this thing. Right. And, and was, so, it, was it, was it uh, an overt shameful thing? Like, like in my family, it just was understood. We don't talk about this. It just, that's, no, they ever said, don't talk about that or anything. It was just, I knew just because of the environment, you just, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Well, it wasn't an overt shame. It was just go over there. But the way it was, was like, this is something we're not going to talk about at at all in this house. If you want to know anything, you go look at that book because that book will tell you everything you need to know. Mm -hmm. And of course, books don't tell you anything you need to know most of the time there. Right. Um, Thank goodness. Now we have the internet with all the exact correct information. (laughs) Good safe place to find out information. I read it on the internet, so it has to be true. Yeah. But um, so I, I, I grew up through that and was, you know, this is back in the late 60s, early 70s. And whenever I found a magazine, I, I would I would I would take take that. I would hide it. I would hoard it. I would keep everything I could find because it was it was something I knew I wasn't supposed to have. And so it was a sort of a rebellion thing. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not supposed to have this. I'm going to have this then. And I'm going to hide it from everyone. Uh, I lived my whole life that way. Um, went in the army two days after graduation from high school, went to Germany where things were so much even more open and learned there. And, you know, as, as time went on, it stayed and then videos and then we got the internet. We got married in 1990 and we got the internet in 1991. And uh, we were the first people that anyone knew that it even had a, a compact, compact disc reader in their computer. <laughs> we had bought a computer with a CD drive and a few CDs, you know, few, very few CDs available back then in 1991. But as soon as I found out I could find something on the internet, then I started looking on the internet. Of course, you look at night or you look, look, I looked while my wife was away at school and, and um, yeah, I got hooked and this continued until 
Um, about two years ago this month is when I started to change. I was 50, uh, just, just a couple months short of 55. So I had 50 years of pornography experience under my belt. What caused the change? <laughs> this is, this is my best part of my story. My wife, um, we had a, a leader in our church, give a, give a talk. And he asked the women to read the scriptures and to underline every reference to Jesus Christ and to think about our savior. And he promised them that if they did this, miracles would happen. And so my wife, having complete faith in God, complete trust in him, it's like, okay, let me do this. So she started reading every day. She started praying every night. I didn't know this, <laughs> but she's praying for something to happen. Either I'm out of her life through death or divorce or something, or a miracle happens to change me. I started playing Pokemon Go around that time. Yes, I admit it. I'm 57, I play Pokemon Go. But the reason we started playing is our two younger boys were playing and wanted us to play with them and walk with them. So it, we figured it was a great way to spend more time with our kids. And one of the places I went all the time, I was unemployed at the time. I had severe depression. I couldn't work. One of the places I went all the time was the cemetery in the town we lived in. And one of the first times in that cemetery, I was drawn to a grave. I saw this grave of this person who was born in 71 and died in 86. And I just felt like I knew them. I felt instantly that I knew this person, but I knew I couldn't have known them because I, I didn't live around here then. And they had lived here all their life. And every time I went up to the cemetery, <clears throat> I would sit at that grave and I would ask, why am I here? Why do I know you? And it was, I just felt closer and closer to God every time. On the night of December 20th, so about two months after this, that person came to me and they called me to repentance, basically. It, was, it wasn't a call to repentance. It was, you need to change. Mm. The time is now for you to change. You have something you need to do. And I could not deny that. It was so real to me that I know that person was there. And I know I conversed with her and she told me this stuff. And then in his mercy, God just lifted that, that, that veil of forgetfulness between now and back then. Mm -hmm. I could see this person and I were best of friends before. And she had come to me to tell me it's time to change. And four days later on Christmas Eve, I talked to my wife and said, I, I want to go for a walk. Um, I don't want to go for a Pokemon walk. I just want to go for a walk where we hold hands and talk. And she didn't know what to do about that because that didn't happen anymore. <laughs> and as we're walking, I told her the story. I told her everything. And I tell you, I have a woman who loves me. She had been praying every night for that miracle. The night of the 20th was the night she finished her scriptures mm. and she prayed her final prayer for that miracle. And that night the miracle happened. I know God's hand was in it. Absolutely. 
he he allowed that person to come to me and to tell me it's time to change and that was such a strong it's the strongest influence from god i've ever felt in my life mm-hmm. and i look at it now and i think there's no way i can go back to how i was because god has shown me through his grace and mercy that he loves me yeah that he cares for me i never felt before then that i was worth anything mm-hmm. i had the shame i had I had been told enough, mostly by myself, that God's not interested in me. God doesn't care about me because I am such a screw up. And to have him show me so much love through that has been life-changing for me. And it's been, all I have to do is think about that. When I'm tempted, I think about what happened. And I know I can't go back. Yeah. Because I don't have faith that God showed me that. I have knowledge. Yeah. I am beyond that faith part. I know. Yeah. And I will be if if I if I throw that away, I'm I'm damning myself. Right. And we know that that fear, you know, it, it can you know kind of drive us and whatnot. And that uh, is a nice segue into the song of the week that you brought which is uh, from Zach Williams, Fear is a Liar. And, and this is a song, you know, first time I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, that's a song for me. <laughs> and uh, and it's, uh, it, it's powerful, but true. And I don't want to talk about it too much before we get to it, but we're going to give the people 90 seconds of the song. We're going to be back to hear more uh, of your story and, uh, and look at the message that came out of it. But right now, this is Fear is a Liar from Zach Williams. Uh, we'll give you about 90 seconds. We'll be back uh, to tell you our thoughts. Stop you in your steps Fear is a liar He will rob your rest Steal your happiness Cast your fear In the fire Cause fear He is a liar is one of my favorites once again zach williams if you've listened to the show you know i do enjoy zach williams uh and so um tell us neil why this song uh why did you pick this one well i had never heard zach williams before tuesday (sighs) (laughs) 
I, a lot of other stuff I listen to, but somehow in my, in my uh, Pandora algorithm, Zach Williams never came up. And I was listening to a Mercy Me song. I'm like, I want to hear more of theirs. And so I typed in Mercy Me and I started playing you know, a bunch of Mercy Me and started playing some other stuff. And then it popped into Zach Williams. And it hit me like a ton of bricks in the second verse because it talked directly about me. Mm. Where the second part of the second verse, it says, uh, let me find it. Here we go. You'll never, uh, he, when he told you you were dirty and that you should be ashamed, when he told you you were the one that grace could never change. And that's what I felt. I was dirty. I had so much shame in my life. And I could never change. God could never change me. His grace could never touch me because I was beyond that point. And it's interesting you know, that, that the weapon used against us is that fear. And we know, I know, that grace is good for everybody. But somehow in my, in the attacks on me, I get created to be some incredible superhuman, you know, superhero that I am bad enough that I can destroy something that's super good. You know, I just become the ultimate supervillain in my power. You know, it's like, I just get, as the weaker I feel, the more grandiose my legend becomes. Exactly. And my legend was, my legend was so big. Um. God can never touch me, mm-hmm. but I I've been using, um, <clears throat> I'm in Utah. I'm obviously a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the LDS church has a 12 step program called the addiction recovery program. And that's that, that's the 12 step program I have used. And in our meetings, there's an old Testament verse up every meeting. And it's Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, mm-hmm. I will help thee. And it speaks directly of that fear, not to fear, because God is there. It took me finding God to, to release that fear. Yeah. And, you know, this song, it, it, it hits me on just, I mean, there's no wasted words in this one for me, but that same verse that you talked, that's the lie that I believe, that I should be ashamed and that nothing, nothing could overcome my bad. Uh, and, but I, at the beginning, you know, it talks about in the chorus, you know, what fear does and, you know, it, it, it robs my rest. That's how I know people ask me, well, how do you know if you're, you're healthy? You know, and my, my main red flag is, do I sleep at night? Am I able to rest? Do I have peace? And I know when I've got peace that I'm good to go. I know when I don't have peace, when I can't get to sleep, when I'm trying to solve problems at night, when I lay in bed, I know there's problems. And then I, that's when I really double down on my steps and, and I start looking and uh, do what my sponsor said, you know, just to start fourth stepping that Paul and, you know, looking at what's the issue, what's my role in it. And, and go on but that that's what fear does it it takes away any joy that i have and it's me saying i would rather have dissatisfaction and sadness than to have um joy and and peace which is just completely ridiculous uh it's not the it's not a, a bargain that i would want to make um, because it's, uh, 
it's just a stupid bargain. Um, Corey Tinboom, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's a quote from her. It says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorry. It empties today of its strength. And it, when we're worrying and we're, we're living in fear, it's just, it's robbing me of everything good that I could possibly have. And, and I wake up to find good things, you know? So why would I want to destroy everything by just clinging to that fear? Exactly. When I was in the midst of my addiction, I suffered depression so bad that I couldn't do anything. I spent almost three years without a job. I worked for myself for many years. I was a stay-at-home dad and had my own business, but I got so bad that I couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I had been in recovery for about two and a half months. And one day I said, my wife was there and I'm like, I need to find a job. She's like, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and I started looking through ads and I saw a job that fit everything I like to do. And I'm like, that's the job I want. So I started praying about that job. I put everything towards that job. I interviewed for that job and was offered the job. Mm. And now that's my job. And I absolutely love it because it's doing things I like to do. And it's, to me, it's fun to go to work now where before it was a chore to do anything. It was a chore. I, I would leave the house two or three days a week is all to go shopping or something. And now I'm out there and I'm telling people about recovery. I'm preaching Jesus Christ because he is the only way that I'm ever going to get back to my father. Yeah. So looking um, at your, at your uh, addiction, you said you had a 50 year journey with this, with this uh, affliction. When did it become, how public was it? I mean, who knew it? Did you keep it a hundred percent secret? Did you talk to the guys about it? Did, were you just, it was a hundred percent secret. It was 100% secret. Um, addiction is a thing of isolation mm -hmm. and I isolated myself far from everything. It was probably about 1996 or so. My wife caught me at the computer one time looking at some pictures and I just blamed it on someone else who showed me this, you know, and, right. and I said, yeah, I, I don't do this. And you know, it's not me. Yeah. And then it was in 2005. I thought I need to come clean. I need to break from this. And I talked to my wife. I told her everything. And I spent four years without looking at porn, without masturbating, without doing all this stuff. But I did it on my own. Yeah. I didn't involve anyone but my wife. And then I started resenting her when she would ask me. And I did not include God at all in my recovery. And it wasn't a recovery. I spent yeah. four years sober, but zero time recovered. Yeah, dry. dry and when I relapsed, I relapsed big. Yeah. And um, this time, it's so different. Having the Savior is my guide. That's what I was going to ask you is what's Christ. different. How is it? How does it feel? How do you know it's different? I know it's different because I feel the love of my father all the time mm. where I pushed him away before. Now I feel his love. My cousin is a, is a, is a pastor down in California at new life church in Porterville. And he has a, um, one of his sermons on YouTube called the price of stew. And I would encourage anyone to look up the price of stew by pastor Dave Mast. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes on this. He made me realize that I am worth God's best. God's best is his son, Jesus Christ. And I am worth 
Jesus Christ. He sent his best for me. If no one else on this earth needed saving, he would still send them for me alone. Mm -hmm. That I am worth his best. Um, Another thing I realized, I would love to give credit where credit is due, but I can't remember what I heard this. It, it was a church in Texas. I was listening to, to, to the, some of their streaming stuff. And they talked about, um, what was it? First John 4, 19, where it says, we love him because he first loved us. And my thoughts on that, that I put together through that, through that message was Christian faith is not trying to achieve the love of God, but rather receive the love of God. Mm. You do nothing to achieve the love of God. We simply receive it. The order here means everything. If we think God loves us because we loved him, we'll never find peace. But once we realize that we loved him because we first loved us, then we can depend on him. We're not trying to love a God who might love us. We're trying to love a God who will never stop loving us. Mm. And that has been one of my messages, that God loves us no matter what we do. There's nothing we can do that's so bad the light of Christ cannot reach down to us and shine on us. Right. He is there for us if we reach for him. We remove ourselves from God. God doesn't remove himself from us. Yeah, I I think, you know, for me, it's so, it's difficult to pick, you know, a verse. Uh, you know, if I, you know, when I sign my books, I put Romans 12 too, because I love the idea of the renewing of the mind. But uh, the thing that made sense, one of my most biblical aha moments was Philippians 4, 7 that says, you know, peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I, I heard that forever, you know, as a kid, you always say, Oh, peace that passes understanding. And I didn't get it until I had it. Um, there's a, um, you know, they, when they were trying to identify or, or you qualify, you know, in the Supreme court, what pornography was, there's a, a famous line that says, you know, it's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. And, I didn't understand what peace was. I thought I did until all of a sudden I felt like this, just the removing of all this weight and stuff and junk. And I was just like, this doesn't make sense. I can't explain this, but man, this is awesome. And that's, that's when that became real to me. And I know that I like being there. I don't want to be where that isn't. And so you know, when I get called to stray, I just think, no, this peace, this is better than anything that the world can give me, better than anything that a picture or a thought or anything can give me. Just being in Christ, uh, he provides what I need. My, maybe not what I want right then, but definitely what I need. And in the past, always what I wanted. Now, you know, I'm like, I'm glad I took that instead of the other thing. It's, it's like the donut yeah. at night. Looks good, but in the morning I regret it. <laughs> I remember that day. It was September 3rd this year. I was at work. I repair tools. I'm fixing this tool. As I'm fixing this, suddenly it comes to me that for the first time in my life, I'm at peace. Mm. I have peace. If I were to die today, that day, I would have peace. If my wife were to die, I would be at peace because I know Jesus Christ 
and my father in heaven. Yeah. And it was so profound to me that I came home that day, talked to my wife and said, for the first time in my life, I feel peace. Mm. I've never felt this before. And she walked into me there because she's felt there. She's been there for years <laughs> waiting <laughs> for me to show up. And, and uh, you know, it's funny. Those not funny. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Those people like your wife and like, I think of my mother-in-law and that, that, that silent praying in the background for a person that, and, and we'll get her on at some future point to talk about this idea that you're praying for a person and they don't necessarily know that you're praying for them and they're not getting it, but you're still doing that, that faith, that dedication, that strength that it takes to keep doing that. And then, you know, the Christmas morning when you open up the present is like, this is what I was hoping for. You know, I got the, you know, Barbie dream house or whatever it is. And, and, you know, that it finally comes through and we have, you know, our son is in the grip of addiction and, you know, choosing to be homeless because of his addictions uh, and is, you know, in his forties and it just, it kills us to see but we still keep just praying those prayers and picking up where my mother-in-law left off after she passed that we just keep those prayers going and know that at some point it's going to happen. You know, we have the promise that God will, will see it through. Yeah. Earlier this year, I finally realized what God's love feels like. Hmm. I was, had been listening to a podcast. I was on my way home. I, I, I do three meetings a week, three 12 step meetings a week. One is my meeting to heal. Mm -hmm. The second one is a meeting I facilitate. And the third one is a meeting my wife and I go to as a couple. And I'm on my way home from my Thursday night meeting where I've facilitated work. We've had a great meeting and I've heard so much wonderful stuff. But I'm still thinking, how does God's love work? I know I'm a child of God, but how really do I know that? And then I started thinking that God, you know, I'm a father. I have three boys and I love all of them so much that it hurts me when they go do something wrong or when they struggle. And I realized that when one of them struggles, I have so much more compassion on him than the others, but I don't love him more. I just have that compassion. And God is like that. He's got billions of children and he loves all of us equally. Yeah. We are all worth his best. He doesn't love me less because I sin. He loves me just as much. He has compassion on me and he's willing to throw me that rope when I, when I ask him for it. Yeah. He's willing to throw me that lifeline and help me, but I have to ask if I'm not yeah. willing to ask. And that was the biggest thing I learned in my 12 step recovery. I always wanted to be different. I wanted to not have this problem. I wanted to not be addicted. I wasn't willing to make the sacrifice to make it have it happen. Yeah. And I was looking through, it was my second week in ARP, addiction recovery program, when I came upon a phrase that said, um, you can be assured that a new disposition or character will grow out of your willing heart. And that's when I realized I've had a wanting heart all this time. My heart's never been willing. And now that I have a willing heart, it's so different. When I turn myself over, like step three tells us, we turn our life over to the care of God, the eternal father and his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
I found what my will brings me. My will brings me years and years of sadness, years and years of addiction, years of dragging myself down. When I turn myself over to God's will, it brings me peace. Mm -hmm. It brings me comfort and joy. And it brings me closer to my wife than I've ever been before. We've been married 30 years. And this year has been the best year of our marriage. Yeah. We're yeah. so much closer physically, spiritually, romantically, um, emotionally, in every way there is. We are so much closer than we've ever been before. Right. I love it. Yeah. Like turning my heart over to God. Well, and you'd say, you know, God, you know, throws us that rope. And I know I asked for the rope, but then it's on me. What do I do with it? Because a lot of the times I use it to jump rope and then tripped or to tie it around my neck and try to hang myself and I have to realize, okay, this is a rope to get out of the pit. It's not just a way to try to yank God down into the pit with me. And, and, and that's, for me, that's been one of the trickier things is, you know, having it, it's all there. It's just, you know, the doors are open. God doesn't lock the doors to the, to the storehouse. He leaves them open. We just have to go in there and figure it out. And it, it, that's, that was my biggest stumbling block at the beginning was that, cause I had that same thing. I want to be different. I want to change. I don't want to have this you know, I don't, what I, what I didn't want, I didn't want all the problems that were coming along with it because keeping the secrets were driving me nuts. You know, I trying to figure out who did I tell what to, who, how was I acting for this person? And this person is a little bit different. And what excuse did I make? And lie did I tell? And when I didn't have to do all that stuff, I mean, going to jail was one of the hardest parts of my life. And it, you know, my life came crashing down and I lost my career that I went for college for. I was gone forever. And my credibility and all that stuff. But I had peace when I was in jail because I didn't have to keep the secret anymore. It's like, Oh, okay. I can, I can. And it, it took me a while. It wasn't like the night I went into jail because I, I stayed in there most of my sentence before I finally confessed. And I just kept telling people, no, I got done wrong. And you know, it was, you know, whatever. Uh, but when I finally, when I got rid of that secret, all of a sudden, all the power in that weapon, was now mine. You know, Satan had taken that gun that I had for protection and turned it on me. And now I grabbed it back from him and said, I don't think so, pal. And now I've got it and I'm not letting go of it. I'm not, I'm not giving that power back uh, yeah. because I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to be in fear anymore of, of what I've done. It, I can't change it. All I can do is, you know, use it. And people said, well, why would you put all that in a book? I was like, well, because somebody else is going through this right now. And if I would have had a book, maybe I would have been able to change my life a little sooner. Uh, if I would have had a podcast, maybe I wouldn't have gone as far down into the hole as I went. If I would have had meetings to go to, I might not have you know, gone. And, and so I'm using that now, leveraging my mistakes to hopefully create uh, gain for someone else. One thing that I always felt so much guilt at church, I'd be in men's mm -hmm. group and I'm like, I'm the one in here. That's the worst. I am so bad. No one is, no one has done what I've done. No one is as bad as me. And shame, man, shame is such a strong weapon. Satan uses against us. Yes. But since I have been free of addiction, I teach the men's group at church now. Well, before COVID, <laughs> <laughs> See, we're still on abbreviated meeting schedule now, but um, I talk openly about what I've gone through and about addiction and about recovering. And three times I've had men come to me after 
words and say, me too. Mm. Things, something I thought would never happen, but there are others out there and you right. need to talk about it. Um, I think, well, I've made a, my life a mission statement for my life, which I've always thought the people who had mission statements were just weird. It's like, <laughs> why do you have a mission statements are for a business, not for a personal thing. But I have made a mission statement. I'd like to read that to you. Sure. It says, I have a message of hope for other addicts, for all afflicted and troubled people who are willing to consider a spiritual approach to changing their lives and for anyone seeking truth and righteousness. The message is that God is a God of miracles, just as he has always been. My life proves that. I am a, becoming a new person through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I will share this message through my efforts to serve others. As I serve, my understanding and knowledge of this process is strengthened and deepened. And the more I share my story, the less I judge myself harshly. Mm. Boy, I love that last line. That's, that's, that's really good. And you know, the book that I'm writing now, the second book is all about sharing our story. So I might, I might steal that line from you. That's a good one. I like that. We'll give you a little writing credit in there. Um, so um, we've heard the mess and you kind of alluded to, but, but how would you sum up the message from, from your mess? The message is that God loves you. God will do whatever it takes for you to come back. If you turn to him, mm. if you don't turn to him, he won't help you. You have to turn to him. You have to ask him for that saving grace and he will give it to you. Mm. Um, I tried this alone. <laughs> How'd that work for you? <laughs> I failed deliberately. <laughs> I, I, I failed horribly. Yeah. Um, I tried it with God and it happened. Yeah. Um, turn to him. He loves you. He will help you. There's nothing that he won't do. In fact, he already did the best thing ever. He sent his only begotten son to save us. And if he will do that, what more can he do? Right. Then the thing that I didn't realize before is that it's already been done. All I have to do is accept that. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go out and do some grandiose thing. I don't have to work my way to heaven. All the work's been done for me. I have to accept that. And then as part of accepting that, I have to share that and I have to live that the rest of my life and be that person for others. Yeah. And that's where God has led me to, to basically preach his word on addiction recovery. Yeah. To tell others that you're not alone because for many years, well, forever, I felt alone. I was the only one here. I'm mm -hmm. the only one this bad. Yeah. You know what? Others are out there too and others need help. And it's my, my job to go help them now. Absolutely. That wherever I can find someone, I need to help them. And it's so good that, you know, uh, your, your 12 step group is happening through the church because so often the church is not a hospital for the wounded. It's, it's, you know, a battlefield that we, we kill the people who step up and say, Hey, I'm having a struggle because we're, we're not allowed you know, to come in on Sunday and say, yeah, things aren't, you know, I mean, think about it. A fun little experiment when you're able to go back to church, just ask people how they're doing on a Sunday morning and then try to find the same people during the week and ask them how they're doing. And the answer is so different. It's like, you know, oh, too, too blessed to be stressed. That's a lie. There's a lot of stress <laughs> out there, you know? And, you know, we, 
we just need to be honest and, and we should be able, and I'm so happy that you're able to do that in church. And when we share that, it can be a big risk, you know, because a lot of people gasp and they don't want to hear that on a, a Sunday or in a, a meeting, but somebody hears it and they're like, Oh, I'm not the only one. Okay. I can, I can fix, you know, I, I can, I can get through this now because I see that that guy did it. I, you know, I call that guy that idiot. And I always think if that idiot can do it. So thanks for being that idiot uh, in your church, Neil. Uh, we need more idiots. I am. I am proud to be that idiot in my church. I am proud to share the love of Jesus Christ because yeah. that's what's going to get all, all of us there. Outstanding. Well, I am super happy you did that. Folks, the reason that you just heard Neil's story is because Neil reached out to me. He, uh, he sent that email uh, and um, reached out to me and said, hey, we, you know, I've got story and uh, it's outstanding. We're blessed for, for having done that. So you too can do this. It's super easy to do. All it takes is uh, a phone or computer or Zoom or something like that and we can get you. But if you've got a story that other people can hear so that they don't have to be the only person in the room feeling what you're feeling, uh, send me an email at bowtieguy at messituppodcast.com or you can contact intern Dave out in beautiful Hawaii. It's info at messituppodcast.com. Uh, so let us know about that. Check us out on all the, the standard channels. We got Facebook, we got Instagram, we got Twitter. Uh, look us up on, uh, on Reddit. And again, if you want to become a patron of the show, that's how we survive. Uh, we are 100% listener funded. Uh, so you can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Super easy to do, real quick thing. You get a little bit of swag out of it as well. Go to messituppodcast.com, click on the become a patron button. And uh, it'll take you to all the information that you need to know about that. And uh, thanks to all the patrons out there for doing this. Uh, we're going to be having a series that's going to be starting here uh, in a week or two, hopefully, that'll take us through the new year. And we're looking at a weekly look for 12 weeks, uh, walk through the steps. Um, so that's going to be happening coming up here very soon. I'm hopefully going to get that recorded in the next couple of weeks and roll those out to you. Uh, it is coming up now that we're in. Uh, October. we got Halloween coming up and Halloween is officially the, uh, the kickoff for the holiday season in America. And that's when uh, recovery gets really tricky for people. So be on the lookout for people who are struggling. Uh, don't let people struggle alone. Show someone some love, even if it's a stranger that you just smile at at a stop sign and they think, what is that person's problem? Great. They'll give them a, have a story to talk to about their, uh, at their friends at dinner, but uh, be nice to people. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I am going to tell you to go vote. Um, vote your conscience. And uh, if you don't vote, then I need you to shut up for the next four years, uh, regardless of who gets elected. Um, that's just your responsibility to either vote or to hush. Um, but uh, voting uh, happens on a ballot, uh, either in a ballot box or in a mailbox, but uh, it doesn't happen with a club on Facebook. So um, go out there and, and we're called to be peaceful uh, people and they'll know us by our love. So you can have an opinion, you can have a point of view, but it can always be expressed kindly. So if you're badgering people, uh, think about how often people yelling at you works. So just stop yelling at people because they're not going to change their mind because you yelled so. Uh, anyhow, that's my soapbox for now. Neil, any parting shots before we go? Two things. I am willing to talk to anyone. Um, my email is Neil at neil.us, n-e-i-l at n-e-i-l.us, um, simple and easy. And also, I love what 
Isaiah said to Hezekiah, when Hezekiah was, was told he was going to die, and he pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord gave him 15 more years. He said, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. Mm. God will heal you. God can heal you if you let him. If you have a willing heart, if you open yourself to him, he will heal you. That is my testimony. Wow. Wow. That is outstanding. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I hope it was painless. It was. <laughs> awesome. And uh, uh, we really appreciate it. And just know that even if you never hear about it, somebody's life got changed right now because they heard your story. Uh, because you were willing to uh, open up and share and to be unashamed and to be unafraid to steal uh, Stephen's line. Uh, and uh, really appreciate you doing that. If you need to get a hold of me, you know the uh, email, the phone number is 760-608-1942. You can feel free to text me or call mm -hmm. me. Uh, and uh, as I'm able, I will uh, uh, take those phone calls and texts. Um, but uh, sometimes I've got hands in paint and I can't answer right away. So uh, until the next time uh, we see each other, um, I guess this is goodbye until next time we mess it up. Thanks for checking out the Mess It Up podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback, please email info at messituppodcast.com. Don't forget to share with your friends and we'll see you next time we mess it up. Mess It Up.